human performance and the outdoors. I would say the majority of my wavelength in my brain is taken up with those two topics. My 80-year-old grandmother walks around the mall every week. I don't consider her fit, per se. I don't think any hunter alive on public land looks over and sees other hunters. He's like, yes, finally, more people here. It was an interesting thing he said. He goes, you know how I scout for deer? You got to start big and then get all the way down to the exact tree. I said, okay, well, what do you mean by big? He goes, the country, the United States. I'm like, wait, what? You, you work really, 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 really freaking hard to get where you're at. I get it. But also other people could do this. They just don't want to, or they just don't want to put in the effort. This is Bert Soren from Soren X Exercise Equipment, and you are listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. Our culture needs people that are leaders and not people that are waiting for somebody else to show them how to do it. Those fields of tofu, that was formerly habitat for wildlife. You're killing off wildlife by being a vegetarian just as much as a hunter when he kills a deer. I'm like, well, you see that bush right there? (laughs) There's your bathroom. (laughs) My dad wears a Levi jacket. He sits in front of a sagebrush and he tells me the best camo is hold still. Not to Donnie Vincent this, but be relentless in everything you do. Don't crap out, go back to the truck with excuses or whatever. Okay, assume I get a deer. How do I cut it up to fit into a Honda Civic? Just get outside. Just get outside and go. Because once you do, it's all gravy from there. Hey, this is Zach Griffith. This is Hannah Barron. This is Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls. Hey, guys, this is Cody Rich from the Rich Outdoors podcast. What's up, guys? This is Chad Mendez. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey, y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Getting on to today's episode, I'm excited to sit down with Bert Soren, CEO of Sorenex. Bert is an impressive dude with an even more impressive beard. Um, it, you know, just just looking at him on this uh, conference call, I'm I'm a little bit distressed that I cut mine off. <laughs> um, it just, uh, there we go. Now he's hiding it from me, but Bert, <laughs> thank you so much for, uh, hopping on the call with me today. I uh, appreciate you having me, man. This is going to be great. 
I was going to say, we might actually need you to switch it to vertical to get the full view of the beer. We're kind of filling up the screen, I guess. Uh, I just trimmed it recently. I tried to make it a little bit better for you. Oh, there we go. There we go. But uh, one thing I always love to just kind of start out with is an introduction of just generally who you are and how did you get your introduction? Um, normally, I would say to the outdoors, but also I want to say your introduction to your love of fitness and the outdoors. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I grew up in the outdoors, um, only child. Uh, my dad was uh, very heavy into the outdoors as well as fitness and strength. <clears throat> now, you really you probably used the term more strength than fitness. That was uh, Fitness was always kind of a byproduct that goes with just being an active human being and being capable and having work capacity. But the goal was always to be strong and, and strength kind of separates kind of the wheat from the chaff in many ways. And so there was always a, a an honoring of the strong people and, and the strong ideas, and whether that be physical, mental, spiritual, emotional. And so I just grew up around that. And I grew up around the outdoors. And um, that was when I would go and see my dad, my parents were divorced. But when I would go and see my dad, pretty much everything was going to kind of revolve around as I got older, a little bit of strength stuff. But for the most part, part when I, when I started out, it was all outdoors oriented, hunting, fishing, camping, things like that. So that's what I've always been about. And as I grew, I just kind of turned into a giant version of my five-year-old self. And <laughs> I've just stayed with the things that I've, that I've loved because I've had, you know, 35 years dealing with those things and trying to go on the voyage of enjoying the outdoors and enjoying the, the strength world and the, the human performance world. So that's, that's what I've been about. I mean, of course I'm about a couple other things with my family. I guess I'm a business person and some things like that. And, and but the two constants have been human performance and the outdoors since I could remember. So that's what I'm about. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your dad because you know, he's kind of the originator of your, uh, your love of the outdoors. He, I mean, he effectively started the kind of world you live in. Oh, sure. This day. I mean, he's the founder of Sornex, and I guess by proxy, I mean, you know, Sornex Outdoors was kind of my thing, but by proxy, he's the founder of Sornex Outdoors as well. And yeah, it, it was, he's an interesting guy, and Pops is, Pops is an interesting guy too, and it's kind of crazy. He was an only child as well. Parents worked all the time, so he was kind of left to his own devices, but he had a couple you know, rules like he wasn't able to go outside of the yard. So you have a, a kid that's by himself that's that really is boils everything down to his own imagination, uh, his own ingenuity, and whatever he could come up with. He wasn't a very good reader when he was a little kid. So his dad used to buy him uh, Iron Man magazines and, and uh, Strength and Health magazines because he was interested in that. But he would also buy Field and Stream and Sports of Field magazines. So the two things he was interested in, he just read constantly. And that's what taught him to read because he knew he would, his dad knew he would read stuff that he was interested in. And um, so you, you kind of get this weird, perfect storm of uh, a kid that's alone, has a ton of imagination, ton of ability, uh, has some infrastructure to work with, and then has a fueling of the outdoors world and the strength world as, as kind of his muse. And um, he just kind of designed the world around him to fit his, his likes and, and interests. So that's kind of how pop started. And then of course he turned out to be a national caliber lifter and a, and a discus thrower. And, and he just, 
I learned from him and my mom to chase passions, whatever the passion is, go deep water. My mom is different in many ways, but she's very uh, independent. She, if she gets onto something, she's going to go deep water. She's going to learn every bit about it. I mean, as a kid, I could remember just every summer she was a teacher. So when the summer would come, she'd have free time and she would learn a new skill set every summer and go deep water into it. One year it was scuba diving. One year it was macrobiotics. One year it was, and it was just all these different things, whatever would hit her interest. But once it was, she, by the end of the summer, she was, you know, I would say an expert, but she certainly knew more than 99% of the population about it. So I was always around my, both parents were always pushing further to become more deep water or what I consider a rabbit hole person um, to whatever their passion was. It was always passion driven. So I was around it my whole life. So that was, that's kind of how, how my, uh, my hard drive was set up. <laughs> so, uh, what would you consider yourself, uh, going deep water on? What would you say your, your biggest passions are? Yeah. Human performance and the outdoors. I mean, those two things I can't get enough. I, it, you know, besides thinking about my, my family and, you know, my friends and their, how, how they're doing and just checking up on my people. I would say the majority of my, my wavelength in my brain is taken up with those two topics. That's, you know, I, I used to have full, uh, when I was a hammer thrower and a Scottish Highland games athlete, I would have full practices in my head before I would go to sleep. I'd lay in my bed and close my eyes and literally think through an entire day's practice from three different camera angles, viewpoints, first person view, top view, side view of everything of the technique I was doing. I was able to rewind the tape in my head and go back and forth and figure out biomechanical um, insufficiencies or, or different positions. I mean, that's how into it I was when I was an athlete and I would do full practices. And so what I figured I was getting more reps than my competitors just because I was doing mental reps. Now I hate to say like a lot of times before I go to bed, I'll research ballistic tables for bullets and, and that just because it's something I'm interested in, but it's also something that I hate to say doesn't matter. And so my mindless reading, it just brings my head, my brain off of my business, uh, things that actually I have to put real type of emotional energy towards. Um, but if I read, you know, the terminal ballistics of a, you know, a 300 wind mag at X number of distance, like it doesn't matter. I'm just kind of interested in it. So I kind of do a thing each night to kind of clear my brain to just go, okay, I'm not thinking about anything that's, that's going to be a stressor. I'm thinking about something that just kind of interests me. And so uh, that's kind of what I'm about at all times. A pretty simple guy. <laughs> so there's something you started uh, kind of touching on earlier, and it's the concept of fitness versus strength. And I thought that was, I thought that was kind of interesting because I feel like most people I talk to tend to come at it from the perspective of they want to get fit and strength is kind of the secondary portion of that versus right. you seem to be the opposite. And that's what you, well, you got to define fitness, you know, and some, you know, I guess at one point it was some, my dad was telling me in college, he actually got the question wrong on his, his final and he, and he went back and forth with the professor. He said, you know, the, what is the definition of fitness? And the definition of fitness was there, like how much, you know, liters of oxygen per milliliter of like, it was this mathematical equation. He said, no, fitness is your ability to perform a specific task that is yet to be decided. You know, are you, for instance, 
are you fit enough to be a world-class shot putter or are you fit enough to be a coal miner? Two different skill sets needed, two different abilities needed. And so you can't lump fitness into or define fitness as one specific goal. Fitness for a hunter is considerably different than fitness for, um, you know, maybe the fitness level you have to be to be a professional billiards player. It doesn't matter. What is, what is the requirement? And that's just like if someone asked me, what's the best rifle I should get? What's the best hunting rifle? Okay. What's the requirement? Are you hunting prairie dogs? Are you hunting thick brush bears? Like it doesn't matter. You can't put one thing on it. So fitness for me was always kind of a floating target depending on what my goal was and what I was trying to accomplish. Uh, as a hammer thrower, I was as fit as I needed to be to, to, to get that job done. Now, as a hunter that's doing more Western style hunting, um, the goals and the, the uh, needs and requests of my body that I have, um, the requirements are considerably different. So fitness is always something that I, I, I knew that I was just going to get by going after the things I was looking for. You could, you could call fitness as maybe the, the uh, result of general, general physical preparedness or conditioning. Um, but strength was something that I was always very interested in because strength was the differentiator. You could walk, you, you, Oh, I could walk five miles. Is that fit? I don't know. Uh, my 80 something year old grandmother used to walk around the mall and it would, you know, she'd walk a couple miles around the mall. And I would just tell people, I said, in my opinion, walking isn't, isn't any type of human performance or fitness. That's what humans were meant to do. You're supposed to walk around. That's that's why we have legs. Like <laughs> and I would say, my 80 year, year old grandmother walks around the mall every week. I don't consider her fit per se, or or that's not a goal, you know. Uh, but strength, the ability to produce maximal force on an object or receive an object, that's where kind of that's what separated the men from the boys in a in a way, because there's a diff, there's a specific amount of weight that you say like. I mean, fitness, again, a di again, somewhat different, but you can say strong. And I could say uh, someone who deadlifts 500 pounds is stronger than someone who deadlifts 400 pounds. There's a, there's a very specific way that you could gauge that. And uh, I've always been excited about that because it is more rarefied air in many cases. But to the normal person, maybe strength isn't that big. As I become more of a non-athlete, a 600 pound deadlift is no longer on the menu of things that I need to achieve. It would be cool, but I don't need to achieve it. I've done that. That was cool. Did it help me? Yes. But you have to go deep water in that world to achieve that. And that isn't for me for a balanced fitness profile right now. That isn't something I require. So when you're, uh, when you're looking at the outdoors, um, you know, kind of bringing this, this back around to the outdoors, somebody that wants to get into Western hunting, what's uh, what would your definition of fitness be for, for someone looking to get into Western hunting? It's a great question. I think just like if you're training for a sport specific, if you're sport specific training for a, for a specific sport, not to turn that sentence back and forth, forth <laughs> but you have to look at the requirements. Uh, what are the requirements of your average elk hunt? Your ability to work at altitude, your ability to climb, your ability to have organic movements of literal crawling, um, to, to uh, be strong enough to carry certain amount of submaximal loads for distances. Like 
how I look at it first is what are the requirements that I need to do to be successful? Generally, of course, there's always luck that plays a part of it. There's shooting, there's things like that. But I would write down all the body requirements that I need to be able to accomplish. And then from there, that's how my programming would be associated versus just say, well, I'm fit enough. I'm, I'm 180 pounds and I have 7% body fat and uh, I could run a marathon. Okay. That doesn't necessarily tell me if you're fit enough, you're fit enough to run a marathon, but that doesn't tell me, do you have the capacity, what it takes to hunt? So, but a Missouri, uh, a, a November Missouri rut hunt for whitetails um, sitting in a stand for 12 hours is considerably a different fitness level requirement than a September San Carlos bull hunt. And so it really goes down to, you have to bring some of that sports specificity into it and, and figure out your requirements first. I, I laugh because you say that, and that, that was pretty much literally my season last year was right. I spent six weeks in Montana climbing through the mountains after elk and then went out to Missouri, uh, like a month later for a November, yep. oh, <laughs> November it was cold crap last year. Oh. Oh, it was miserable. <laughs> miserable. It was seven when I got to my stand and I sat for 12 straight hours. And so fitness level, eh, no, I have to carry a big pack in because I have a ground blind and chairs and the whole night because I'm sitting there for 12 hours and a butt ton of food and coffee. And now does that sound like a hard hunt? Well, it's a mile walk in with a really, really big heavy pack and then the ability just to endure sitting there for 12 hours and not going crazy. So I would say that's more mental and and focus training than it really is physical training at that point but still it's a fitness level to to nonetheless hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, how'd you actually, do in, in uh, Missouri? Um, I did not see a single buck. No, um, I saw. So I, I've not done much whitetail hunting. It mm. was, uh, it was. This was. I had a, a good buddy. Um, he invited me out uh, to his ranch. He does like a deer camp every year at his yeah. uh, Driftwood Acres. Uh, Brandon Butler, he's a great guy. Did a did an cool. episode with him a while back. Um, he has a, he has a, a ranch out there, and uh, you know we hunt on the ranch and on the public land around it. And uh, I'm not super familiar with whitetail, so I don't really know their behavior. And I had a doe tag and I had a buck tag, mm-hmm. and rifle or bow. Uh, rifle. I mean, it could have cool. been either, but I had just got, I just picked up a new lever action rifle that I was, I was really Jones yeah. some blood on. Um, and, uh, and so I'm sitting out there and I, I keep seeing all these does and I didn't realize that you could just plug one of those does and a buck will still come right up and <laughs> like, you can have it laying out there. Oh yeah. <laughs> buck just won't even give a crap. I'm like, well, if I'd known that I would have shot one of the dang does, but, right. um, but uh, only one of us on that trip got a buck. It was not uh, – some of the guys were just being a little more picky. I didn't happen to see anything. Uh, but it was, a, it was a fun trip. It was definitely more about the camaraderie and being out there with the guys sure. and, and all of that for sure. 
yeah, those are those are fun hunts like that when you get to be out there with all the guys. It's also fun when you get to be out there with the guys you see some bucks. But <laughs> yes, um, that's cool. Glad you got there, Joe. But I know if you went out there when I did that first weekend, boy, it was it was cold. It's. I don't think it was quite as cold as as you were talking, but it was. I mean, we were getting down to about I think twelve or something like yeah. that. It was. That's rough. Yeah. <laughs> My, my California, (laughs) I'm in Northern California, so it'll get decently cold up here, but, uh, not, uh, not anything like that typically, but. Oh yeah. I mean, when you, when you bring a thermos of coffee and you open it up a number of times and then by the end of the day, the coffee's cold in the thermos and maybe even has ice on, you're like, okay, this is a bad deal. See, that was my Montana season this last year. Mm. That was because winter hit so dang early. Mm. So I was in Montana, you know, mid-September through October. And there was a few, there was a few days where I would like fill up my coffee. I'd, uh, I'd drink most of it, you know, it'd be in, mm-hmm. in like the nice insulated thermos and I'd put it in my car door. I'd park at my spot and I'd, I'd go out and hunt, hunt all day. I would come back. And it would just be frozen solid in that car. Like that's a rough go. It was there was some that's, that's, that's tough. there was some heinous mornings out there. Like I couldn't like mornings where I couldn't get the jet boil working. I would have to Ooh. turn on the car, run the heater for about an hour, and then I could solely to get the jet boil working. Oh um, no. It sucks so bad. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad deal. <laughs> that's a bad deal. I'm looking forward to just uh, the hunts this year, but it's got to come to the realization, you know. I gotta, yeah. Yes, it's always a problem solving thing, right? It's like I knew some things I learned last year. I was like, oh, I'm gonna do those better this year. And but I've been hunting for thirty something years, and you just keep learning. And you're like, okay, what's my solution when that happens next year? And that's the fun part of it, right? Because you don't know. It's been, that's been the absolute study in my, you know, you look at my elk trips, uh, you know, you're not as familiar probably with my story as some of my listeners, but like I look and I, this would be my third elk season, this last season. So coming up on my fourth season and it's, it's been, you know, a a very interesting step-by-step process where, you know, the first season I went out and I, I learned it was the most epic failure of an elk hunting trip that you could imagine. <laughs> and so, and keep in mind, like I just, I just picked this up months before, you know, I mm-hmm. just started hunting. And of course I, I, I go, do, go the wise way and decide to make my very first hunting trip, a solo DIY public land archery elk hunt. Um, Makes total sense. <laughs> You know, it's just, I, I clearly listened to all the recommendations of, of all these lovely people I talked to on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I love this story. I had Jim Shockey on the podcast and you know, you're doing something absolutely insane. He's, he's a, he's a well-known guy. Yeah. You know, you're doing something absolutely insane. When you look at Jim Shockey, you tell him what you're doing and he like, he doesn't have a response for a, for a quick second. <laughs> he's like wait what you're doing what yeah um yeah how <laughs> but so i guess that one didn't turn out too well it it resulted in uh two torn knees uh oh, no. on the second and third day of the of the trip was it like an acute injury or or just your knees started hurting it was uh the the second second day so i i hiked in the first day had way too much weight in my pack it had a 
freak snowstorm had blown in. It had been like in the sixties and seventies prior to that snowstorm blows in. So like I'm new to this, I didn't have all the right gear. And so I kind of bought a bunch of stuff and I didn't really optimize my pack. So right. I was probably 15 to 20 pounds overweight on my damn pack. Yep. Hike in, it was supposed to be a four mile hike in. It ended up, I ended up having to park an extra couple of miles away from the trail. And then the way I hiked in, it turned into like a seven or eight mile hike in. Mm. And it just was destroyed me through waist high deadfall covered in snow. So I'm, I'm slamming on my knees with all this weight. So second day in, I had to do about 14 miles by the end of the time I can barely put any weight on my left foot oh. or on my left leg. I just thought like, okay, tax overtaxed myself, you know, take some, take some, uh, vitamin I and, yeah. uh, and you know, wake up in the morning and we'll do it again. So it's feeling okay in the morning. Next day I, I, you know, I hike another seven, eight miles. Knee starts hurting again. I'm, I'm favoring it. And then all of a sudden my, I tear my right knee too. Oh. Didn't know it was a tear of course at the time. So I tried for like another two days. Effectively. I tried, I tried hiking. I tried with no weight, everything. And I finally got to the point where even with no weight, I couldn't even make it a mile. Um, so I ended up texting using my, my little satellite device. I ended up texting a buddy to, that was on call to help me pack out an elk, <laughs> texted him to help pack me out. And, right. uh, yeah. but the amount I learned in that trip it was more than most people learn in any five elk trips. Like, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, it's just, it was amazing. And then every year since then has been slightly more successful. Okay you know, the, the, uh, the following no surgeries year. required after. Oh no, I had, I had bilateral knee surgery. Um, mm. the doctor wanted to like, the doctor told me, he's like, no, all right, we're going to do one knee and then we're going to drag it out and do the other knee. Da, 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 da. Right. All of that. Uh, and my response was, well, why don't we just do both at once? Cause I got to be in the mountains. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, you, did you, did you have to like, did you have to go like wheelchair after that? Uh, I mostly just sat on the couch for about a week, did all the exercises they told me to. I kind of like drug my butt around on, you know, I'd like slide off the couch, drag my butt on the floor to where I needed to go, push myself oh, up a little man. bit. And, um, and then, you know, I did it, everything exactly like they told me I, I mm -hmm. did my rehab. And I mean, I was, I was back hiking come, that was October. I was back hiking come November, end of November. Really? Oh, I guess the surgery wasn't that bad at that case. I mean, what, three or four it's, weeks? It's a, maybe they, a trimmed, they trimmed off the meniscus in my knee. So it's, you yeah. know, you're mostly healing from the surgery itself, mm -hmm. not the actual injury. Not the actual injury. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's all about learning every year. Like you were saying, you know, bringing it back to what you were saying. And Sure. Uh, have you been successful yet on the Elcott? I have not. Right. Uh, the following year, I went out with a buddy and uh, we... I saw my first, you know, my first oh, elk yeah. on a hunt and I got to spot them, glass them. We put stocks on them, but not even close to being successful. <laughs> this last year I was out solo in Montana and I was thick in the elk and I got to put on a ton of stocks. I got to screw things up. I got to launch an arrow that cool. was not completely misranged <laughs> um, and, and probably dropped about five to 10 yards in front of them. Um, and, uh, just, it was an amazing experience. And, uh, so every year it's been growth. It's been steps. Good. Up and, Good. So uh, you're set up, you're, you're, you're on third base. You're set up ready to, 
ready to run at home this year, man. Exactly. And this year I drew the Arizona strip on three points. No. Yep. No way. How long, how long does it usually take to, to pull a strip tag? For the for the unit I got, uh, I was told it typically takes about twelve points. What? That's like a twelve, and ten to twelve point three? unit with three. It was less Holy than a one percent chance. Um, that was uh, that's incredible. Well, there's there, there's your deal. Yeah, my my uh, buddy killed an absolute giant on the strip last year. Um, I want to say his muley was two forty. Um, nice, just an absolute beast a holic and uh he had he had hunted that deer he'd seen him the year before the guy from uh, big chino big chino outfitters bco yeah um, they'd seen the deer before and he had a strip tag i think he'd like turned it back in to uh, potentially get points for next year just to see if he could pull it which is a wild crazy ivan move in itself yeah so they saw this deer he knew he was 200 inches but they're like he's like he could be bigger so he, he turned it back in from what I understood. And he was telling me the story. He said that he found this buck in the summertime and it was like, you know, hundred something miles away, hundred, 200 miles away from wherever they were located. And he and his sons took turns all summer going down and scouting this buck and learning about it. Like they just like rotated back and forth, back and forth, the guys down there. <clears throat> and then um, when the hunting season came in, he went in 14 days early and basically just lived with the buck and scouted him and basically followed him around and, um, and ended up, I think he killed him the first day, but it was just crazy. He's like, I bumped the deer five different times. I had him on camera. I had him, but he was, I would find him almost every day. And he's like, I just learned He's like, I brought in all my stuff and just lived with the buck in there. And then he ended up, he ended up killing just a you know, buck of 10 lifetimes. So then you look at it and you're like, okay, it takes some, work <laughs> like an, <laughs> uh, an extreme amount of work but i think they killed like another like a 211 inch or the same day i mean they just they just had a, an awesome season that's i mean that's such a the prep like that is so important there's it no is. replacement for that and yeah you you could come up and kill something big or catch something big on just dumb luck being the right place right time and that i mean heck, probably the biggest bass i've ever caught the biggest deer i ever caught were both those things i just happened to be the right place right time but that being said you got to stack the deck in your your favor and, and intel and a plan and and then you know that that just plays in a huge huge part of it but then there's also you just got to be there right my dad used to always tell and talk about bear hunting it's like you're not gonna kill them from the couch you got to be where bears are so the biggest thing i would say from a hunting standpoint is finding an area where the animals have a chance to be the size that you're looking for. That's the biggest thing. I don't care tech techniques or tactics or gear, you know, you know, you're not going to produce a 200 inch whitetail in South Carolina generally. So if you want them, you got to go to the Midwest. I mean, I don't care how good of a hunter are you be a ninja and it doesn't matter. The deer <laughs> aren't there, you know? And so first thing you got to go to where they are, then you got to spend the time. And then both, but both of those, you know, incur expense, right? Time planning getting there everything like that i mean just in general that's you know whether you're looking for a beast of a buck or beast of an elk or not i mean it's so often and i've been guilty of it to where i get into a spot i scout a spot whatever or i see it on google earth Mm -hmm. geez like i need to stop using google earth so much and just get my butt out into the field more but uh whether you you know you look at this spot and you're like this this is elk country this looks like 
every elk video I've watched on YouTube. Right. This is like, <laughs> has the perfect water. It's the perfect terrain. It's got feed over here. It's got the North facing slope. You're like, this is, this is everything elk should be. I'm going to invest all my time in here. And then all of a sudden there's no elk there. <laughs> And you're, yeah, but, oh, but you're committed got, to it. Everyone else, well, because everyone else saw the same spot and they ran the elk out there earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to remind yourself, you're like, okay, go where the elk are, not where you think they should be. Go where the animals are. That's There's the no. biggest, yeah, that's the biggest thing. And we, we run into that a lot. You, you find these spots like for whitetail hunting, you're like, oh, this is so pretty. This is an awesome field. It's this, it's that, it's the other. And you go, I hunted it four times. I've never seen anything. I don't know what's, what I'm doing wrong. And they're just not there. Like it's just it, it, remember, go to where they are, not to where you want them to be. That, that's that's how it kind of runs, you know. I mean, only way you're going to do that is time in the field. And yeah, that's it. They all admit it sucks sometimes because we got jobs, we have daily lives. Not all of us are able to hunt right, you know, right by where we live. So sure, you know, and then very few people have the. Yeah, very few people have the abilities to move to where they hunt. You know, I've known a couple of people that have done that. You know, um, uh, Barry Wenzel, if you know the name Gene Wenzel or Barry Wenzel, if you're an old bow hunter, if you've been into it for a while, they're like old school, like wrote some of the best books on, on whitetail hunting. One's called um, Hunting Rutting Whitetails. It's probably from the early 80s. I've read that book 10 times, probably since I was a little kid. And then they had another one called come November. Both of them are awesome books and probably two of the most innovative big buck killers. And they, they, they hunted solely with traditional archery. And I mean, you talk about ways that those guys just set up these amazingly innovative ways to, to close the distance. Um, but the biggest thing he, I went to a camp with his years ago, gosh, 15, 20 years ago, it was an interesting thing he said. He goes, you know how I scout for deer? I was like, how's that? He goes, you got to start big and then get all the way down to the exact tree. I said, okay, well, what do you mean by big? He goes, the country, the United States. He goes, that's how I start. I'm like, wait, what? He goes, I look at where all the biggest deer are killed. I take those five states. I look at the, those states. I find out the best what has the best seasons, what has the best infrastructure for my style of hunting. Because then I boil it down to the state I want to hunt in. Then I, from there, I look at all the counties. Then I find out what counties have, have the best, and I look at the ratios of people who hunt the counties and who don't. Then I go there and I look for the best areas and then the best properties. And then he goes, and then after all that, that's where I decided to live. <laughs> he's like, it was a town that starts with a K in the middle, in the middle of Iowa. He goes, I went, he goes, I realized my life and my livelihood was going to be chasing giant deer for the rest of my life. He goes, I moved my entire family to that was the place I thought I had the best chance of killing the biggest deer with traditional archery. And he says, and when I'm dead and gone, my, my folks, I mean, my, my wife and my kids are going to move back to wherever they want to be. He goes, but for right now, this is where I am. This is my job. And then he, he showed me his process to work it all the way down to the exact tree he would sit and why. And it was really cool to see that whole thing. And it wasn't based on this is where I'd like to hunt. This is where I need to hunt. And I always thought that was such an interesting, almost like a, like a business, kind of like a business plan way to look at it. And, and that was, but he was wildly successful. I want to say is he killed a 200, like a free range, 240 inch white tail with archery tackle self-guided 
I mean, you go, okay, uh, that's incredible. But you start looking at the, the, the methods that, that, that he put in place. And I always, always thought those were so interesting. So is that, is that now the process you take into account when you're, when you're looking at different spots? Um, no, I'm, I'm a little bit more op, like op, uh, opportunistic than that. Like if a buddy of mine says, Hey, you want to go hunting? Like I go hunting with him. Like, you know, um, I mean, who, who really honestly turns that down? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the thing. But the other side of it, I'm starting to turn down some because I have to look at time and you know, the, the weird paradox is I'm now at a time in my life where I could afford to hunt better places per se. I'm getting more opportunities to hunt better, good places, but I have less time to do it. So then like talking to Cameron Haynes, he goes, I'd love to hunt every place everyone ever invites me to. He goes, but I have this many days that I could, that I could hunt a year uh, for work and for what, and just time. Just, I mean, you only have 365 days in a year and your only seasons only last so long. It's like, okay, at one point you're just going to run out of time. And it sounds weird, but in order to go on a hunt right now, I either have to like the person a lot and want to spend time with that person or have a place that has the class of animal and the potential of having a successful hunt. Like I've hunted, plenty of open, you know, regular over the counter hunts and, you know, public land hunts and all this other stuff. But I also say, if I'm going to take five days away from my family, away from my work, I don't need to go on a hiking trip with a gun or a hiking trip with a bow. Like I'm there to hunt and I'm there for a possibility of actually getting a crack at it. If I do all the things I, that, that are my job to do, I don't need to hunt a dry hole just to say I went hunting. So that's, that's kind of a, a change. I have more of an ability to do that, but you know, if it was up to me, I'd hunt every, every day if I could, but I, I can't. So that's why my, my hunt that I take every year is I'm going to go to Missouri every year. I'm going to hunt South Carolina. I try to find the best place in South Carolina, either purchase leases or, you know, figured out ways to hunt different spots, you know, and, you know, have some friends in different places and I go with them on certain hunts, but it, it's going to have to, it's a risk reward scenario. You know, you're the overhead of flying to a place or driving to a place or taking time away from work or my family, the upside has to be there. And it sounds elitist or materialistic or whatever. But again, if I want to go on a hiking trip, I'll do it in the summertime. If I'm there to hunt, I, I want to make sure that there's actually animals there <laughs> to hunt. And I, and I don't want to have to deal with 500 other people in the same mountain. Like, I don't think anybody wants that. And people might go, Oh, you're like, okay, fine. I don't think any hunter alive on public land looks over and sees other hunters. He's like, yes, finally more people here. That's just not a thing. So <laughs> no, I mean, that absolutely makes sense. And that, it, I mean, I, I think it kind of ties into just your journey as a hunter is, you know, you start out and when you first start hunting, you know, somebody, heck complete stranger says hey we got deer camp come on out you're kind of like hell yeah absolutely a lot better than me going out but as you progress and you start learning and you've had more experiences you're like well okay i don't need i don't just need that experience in the woods anymore i'm looking for something a little bit more i'm looking to step it up and yeah you have to make those choices yeah i don't need reps right now it's kind of like we talked about you know in business at some point you go from the I don't need more experience. I need success. 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and it sounds weird, but it's like, okay, it, we all go through the learning phase or whatever, but if I'm going to continue doing this, I want some success that, that carries over into my family living a better life and having more security and having the ability to continue doing this, you know, the, the startup, uh, scramble doesn't need to last for 20 years. So. <sighs> God help me. I hope the startup scramble doesn't last for 20 years. <laughs> With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Um, so tell me a little bit more about Sorinex. Yeah, well, we're, um, we've been in business 40 years. And it's a passion project that turned into a business. My father, Richard, started it in 1980 in our carport and we've just built strength equipment, innovative strength equipment for universities, pro teams, regular individuals, uh, elite military organizations. Um, you know, that's generally the people we build for. Uh, there's certainly just regular dudes and dudettes and some, some churches and some rec centers and things like that, that somewhat buy our stuff. But for the most part, we've been kind of coined the go-to guys for the go-to guys, the people who want the best gear, the most, most innovative gear that matches for their level of expectation. We're kind of known as those folks. Um, I'm sure there's many brands that are similar in the the hunting and fishing community. And, you know, I'm not going to necessarily plug a specific brand, but there's people that are doing, doing a really darn good job and everybody knows it. And then there's other ones that are, doing an okay job, but there may be some cheaper and they fit a, they fit a need in a place, but you'll generally find the people who say from a hunting world have to get it done because their job depends on it or such their high passion. Generally there's a few brands in each category that people magnetize to because they're just getting it done. And I like to think that we're that brand in the strength world. So what makes uh what would you say is unique about your equipment? What, uh, what separates it from just any other squat rack? Yeah, sure. Well, we've been one of the biggest innovators in the, the last 40 years in the strength world, whether it's the invention of the landmine unit or the invention of the rack and rig system as the world sees it, knows that that was an invention of ours. Holes in four hole of holes in four sides of the rack system, which creates a, an accessory system versus an option system, uh, kind of like the Picatinny rail of the, of the rack world. That was, that was all of our stuff. So, you know, I'm proud to know that we've, we've in many ways changed the trajectory of the strength world. It's what we always wanted to do through innovative ideas and application. And I think we've been able to do it. And that's, that's fun because it's just like with hunting or fishing or anything else, even my competition days, you got to figure out a way to win. I was never the biggest or strongest athlete when I was in the the throws world, but I figured out ways to win, whether it was innovative training solutions, whether it was mindset for competition, whether that was uh, better or smarter preparation. I just love finding that white space that no one else is seeing 
and capitalizing on that opportunity and, and, and shifting it into a positive. And that's what we've done in the strength industry. So, uh, you, you kind of touched on it actually twice. Um, you've mentioned mindset. Uh-huh. How does mindset, why is mindset important when it comes to strength and when it comes to hunting? Mindset is huge because you're, I mean, I'm, I'm a very positive mindset kind of guy. I think there's honestly no space for anything but that. Um, I, I fully believe that anything that another person's done within reason that I could also achieve. Um, I, I expect well, from a, from a hunting world, I expect I'm going to kill some giant deer and elk and bears and whatever. I don't expect I'm going to do it right away. I realize there's a, you know, a, an experiential thing, but I know if I do it long and hard enough and learn enough and, sh- and, and shift my and pivot enough that I will also be, be offered some amazing experiences like I've seen or read about or talked to people um, because I just, don't, I don't believe that, you know, some things are only for some, you know, or Jim Shockey or whoever it may be, or Cameron Haynes. It's like, you know, the whole must be nice thing. Like with Cam, it's like, oh, yeah, man. I get it. You, you've worked really, 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 really freaking hard to get where you're at. I get it. But I also, and, and he will say too, but also other people could do this. They just don't want to, or they just don't want to put in the effort. So I take that as a challenge to go, okay, well then, I'm going to also figure out a way to do that, whether that's business, whether that was strength, whether that was competition. I want, I want extraordinary experiences in life. I want to, I want to push myself and try, try to see what's in there and what I'm made of and and what could occur. So that being said, um, that's always been the mindset and I don't really take no for an answer too well. and, And I don't really believe in failure. I don't believe there is a thing called failure. I think there's delayed success. You know, I haven't succeeded yet. Now, one day, you know, when it's all said and done, maybe that's the that that's when that's when I finally fail. But I think as long as I still have breath and time, then the game's not over yet. I think uh, you know, I think that's a great spot to finish up here. Um, if folks wanted to find you online, where can they uh, where can they hunt uh, hunt down and follow along? Yeah, sure. If they want to find follow me online, well, my company Sorenex is Sorenex.com, S-O-R-I-N-E-X.com. You can look us up at Sorenex on IG, uh, Bert Soren, B-E-R-T, Soren, um, S-O-R-I-N on IG, or Soren out, Sorenex Outdoors. That's something that we've kind of, we're trying to bring the, the upper echelon of human performance solutions to the outdoor world. I think a lot of people have done it and they, some people have done it well. Uh, I don't think anyone's fully tied the two together to the level they could. And then also part of it is I want to introduce the strength and the human performance world to the outdoors. So it's, it goes both ways. I have friends in both sides and I've noticed that if you take a um, college strength coach or a, NFL strength coach and you, you introduce them to archery or fishing or, and they have an amazing time and they, they get a value from that. But I've also intru- figured out that, you know, there's elk hunters and whitetail hunters and everything like that, that if you really teach them how to lift and how to, to um, take care of their bodies, they're going to be more effective at their passion. So I think of myself and I think of my company in many ways as a way to tie two passions together and become valuable to both sides. Awesome. Well, I always like to end with uh, 
a little advice. Uh, so say somebody came up to you, you know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a guy, you know, through the fitness world. And he's like, man, you know, I always see you posting all this stuff about, about hunting. It just looks awesome, man. I, I, I love to do it. I'd really love to get into it. He's like, but here, there's a lot to learn. Like this is, there's just, you know, I got to figure out all this stuff. I got to learn all this stuff. It, I think, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's too much for me, man. I don't know if it's for me. What, what encouragement or words of wisdom would you give that guy? I guess my first question was, what do you want to get out of it? And if that means, you know, people want, I, they say, I want to get into hunting. Why do you want to get into hunting? Do you want to get into hunting? Cause it's kind of cool now because some cool people are doing it. Do you want to get into hunting because you want to um, get some, some organic meat, um, an organic meat source for your family. And it's just purely food. Do you want to get closer to nature? Do you want to challenge yourself in a more truthful um, gridiron out there? Like, what are you looking to do out of it? And it's, so I would see it just like I would, if someone says, I want to start lifting weights. My first question is, what do you want to achieve? Do you want to get bigger? Do you want to get stronger? Do you want to get leaner? Do you want to throw a football further? Do you, what are you trying to do with this? Because to walk into it without a preconceived notion of where you want to end up, um, you'll get nowhere fast. You'll put a lot of effort into it and you'll learn a lot of things. But I think in some ways you'll learn out of time, you'll run out of time and passion to where you want to get. If you want to get into hunting just because you think it's interesting, cool. But realize that that's what you're doing it for. If you want to just get meat, okay, well, I'll, I'll hook you up with some doe hunts in Southeast where you could go and you could sit up in a stand and shoot the first day. If that's all you're looking to do, go buy your freezer, buy a hundred dollar deer tag, go shoot a couple does once a year and call it a day. Don't put the other effort into it. If you're just trying to eat, that's fine. Like, but what are you looking for? That would be my first suggestion is to write, to look in the mirror and write down what you're attempting to go on this voyage for. And that will guide what you're how you're going to get there. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to sit down and uh, share a little bit with my listeners. Thank you so much for hopping on today, man. Thanks a ton for having me. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com to get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. Have a good time. Looking forward to next week. But until then, I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. 